we've been working through a series uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes. And what I wanted, I was hoping this would be a blessing to all of us because there are so many things in life that look hopeful but end up disappointing. And Ecclesiastes is a book that looks disappointing and ends up hopeful. It asks some tough questions. It's a seemingly bummer of a book that sounds like life is a big mess. What's the purpose? There is none. Why? But hard questions like that are very critical to ask. They weed out weak faith. And they weed out things when we relied on stuff to be the reason why we do it, when it is shallow and it's not meaningful. These are powerful questions, and we shouldn't be afraid to ask tough questions, tough questions about our faith, tough questions about what we've always believed, because God is very real and very present and leads us through it. I don't know if you ever think about this, but I was thinking recently who I would be if I finished everything I started. You think about who, you, who would you be if you finished everything you started? I would be a writer, musician, filmmaker, architect. I would have perfect physical health. I would have a master's degree in psychological therapy. I would have read 100 times more books than I actually finished. I would have a broad knowledge on everything from politics to philosophy, science, math, religion, theology, all of it. I would have mastered karate. I would be done by now. Black belt. I would basically be Leonardo da Vinci plus karate. Um, I would be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in a sense. Uh, Leonardo was one. And he was the coolest. Blue, my favorite color, and swords. Opportunity to fulfill a childhood dream failed. So what divides, what separates this polymath wonderkind from the specimen you see before you today? I quit stuff. I quit stuff. If it doesn't work out for me, I quit that so fast. If I finished everything I started, I'd be a dramatically different person, and I think you would too. Why is it that we quit stuff? I think it's because we start something new thinking it's going to make us new. I'm going to get into this new hobby, and I will become a piano person, a guitar person. I'll become, I'm going to really get into this new career. It's time to go spend money on this hobby. And we think it's going to make us really, really different. And when it doesn't, it goes the place where all failed pursuits go, into the quit drawer. Sometimes we want this breakthrough. We want something that's going to be no more of the same, no more of the continuous me as I am, something new and fresh that will break open the doors for me. And it's like we want more for ourselves than this physical body can even hold. Something inside of us wants something so different. Ecclesiastes, the book, it bounces around this area of asking how much does the human heart really want and then simultaneously life's incredible failure to meet those needs to where you can do the best of things, save money, and it always goes the same place. You could be wise or a fool and everybody dies. There's just this sense of pessimism because something inside of us wants more and this life cannot deliver. And today we read where the author really hits it on the head. And it's not actually at the end of the book. That's how we write in America, but Hebrews would put the main point pretty early and then would continue on after it. We're going to be reading where he's going to hit the nail on the head, and we're going to conclude this series today. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm going to open us up here. We're going to start reading in verse 11. 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning. I know that there is nothing better for people uh, than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Quick note on the word fear before we move on. Fear is, uh, in English, even means something typical that we don't use it for. We think of fear and terror as the same word, synonyms. They mean the same thing. They really don't. Fear is this overwhelming awareness of something. And it would work in most places of terror. If there was a giant Rottweiler that we chained up in the middle of the room, and every Sunday he's here barking at you, you would know right where not to walk. You would be so aware of that dog. That is, that's the, uh, the English concept of fear and the Hebrew concept of fear. It's this overwhelming awareness that we would no longer live like God isn't real. God does these things so we live with this constant awareness of his existence. And yet there's this unsearchable nature of God. In verse 11, it says, he put eternity in the hearts of man. This is defined as there is in everybody a deep desire for God and to be part of his endless kingdom. That hunger I was talking about, the thing to do something that will leave an imprint forever, this deep hunger to know God and to be part of his endless plans. Something inside is so deeply wanting this, yet it's completely misguided. It can be. It can be misinterpreted. Where, where is it saying I'm supposed to go? I read a book once called Made to Crave. It was definitely written for women. Uh, and I'm not saying that because it seemed like it was kind of written for women. I mean, like, the book would be like, you know, you know what us girls need to remember? And I'd be reading, I'm like, what do us girls need to remember? Like, it was written for women, but that's not going to stop me from reading it. It was an interesting book. The, the idea behind the whole thing is that the, the overeating and the binging that we do is driven by our de a misguided desire for God. So we want comfort, and that is the office of God. But instead of going to God, we go to food. We want to go somewhere with our anger that's built up, and we want a place to, to get it off of us. Again, this is the office of our shepherd, but we go to food. The concept is kind of like things happen that we should take to the pearly gates, but instead we take them to the golden arches. That's kind of the, there's made to crave in a nutshell. And uh, it's, it's an interesting concept, and once you read it, you begin to get a little bit awakened to how incredibly true that is and how it's far bigger than what we eat. That there are so many things that we want and our desires for them are being driven by this very deep implanted on us at the beginning of creation. Human desire to know God and to be part of his eternal plan. That eternity is laid in our heart. God happens to be that which we really, really enjoy. We don't enjoy a sunset simply because it is beautiful. And it is. They're amazing. We enjoy them because they have things about them that are just the work of the creator. They're a little bit like God. They're not God, but they're a little bit like him. People can commune with nature, and some people commune with God even through nature. Through the creator's work, they experience God. In fact, uh, one of our youth leaders, Anthony Bucci, he goes runs all the time, and that's, that's his, it's kind of like prayer for him 
to be in nature because to him it makes him think about the creator. We love to travel and we love new experiences and, and TV shows are filled with travel shows because we love these things. But going and experiencing new things that are broad beyond what we ever knew here where we live and the life that we've normalized is a calling for something else. To go somewhere that's even greater and travel is great and it's a beautiful thing and it feels like God because God creates travel and experience in these things that we see. Every human desires at their core to know God, desires at their core God himself, but not everybody identifies that. And identifying that call is critical. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament where someone identifies the call. It's uh, the prophet Samuel, my namesake, my biblical namesake, named after him, and not my dad's dog that was named Sam. Uh, Did you guys know that? That should be a fact of the church everybody knows. Before I was born, my parents had a dog named Sam. Uh, He was Samson, I'm Samuel. He's a failed judge of the Old Testament, and I'm like the only prophet who never had a sin recorded against him. So, (laughs) superior to the dog in multiple ways. Boy, that's going to come back and bite me at some point. I just know it. Samuel is a boy born under miraculous circumstances, and his mother made a covenant with God. God, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to the temple. And so he's raised like an orphan almost to where Hannah, his mother, comes and sees him every year at the annual sacrifice. And there's this cute little detail. She makes him a tiny ephod, like the robes the priest would wear. She'd make a little one for him. So cute. Little Levite robe. He would put it on, kind of like baby Yoda. And he grew up in the temple, an orphan. And uh, he's, a, he's a servant, and he works closely with the high priest, Eli. Eli is not a very good high priest. And there's this evening when, when they all go to bed and the lamps are still burning. Eli goes and lays in his normal spot. Samuel lays in his normal spot. And Samuel hears a voice, Samuel. So he gets up and he runs to Eli. He says, yes, you called me. And Eli says, no, I did not call you. Go back to bed. And Samuel goes back to bed. The second time he hears it, Samuel, he gets up and he runs to Eli. And Eli says, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. So finally, a third time, he hears it again. Samuel, he gets up, runs to Eli. And Eli finally does his work as a high priest. And he says, I think you may be hearing the Lord. And this whole story is prefaced with, in that day, nobody heard from the Lord. It was rare. He says, I think you might be hearing from the Lord. Next time you hear the voice, you're to reply saying this. Yes, Lord, your servant is, is listening. Speak. Fourth time. The voice comes, Samuel, Samuel. He says, yes, Lord, your servant is speaking. And in that moment, a relationship begins that is so profound. A boy who was raised as an orphan goes from being a servant in the tabernacle to becoming uh, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, the maker of kings. This is a man who was anointed to lay the crown on the house of the Messiah, the house of David. He is someone who communes regularly with God, who speaks with God in personal terms to where God tells him, quit being so, quit being so disappointed. Get up. Let's get back to work. I mean, they, they become this duo, and it starts with identifying that voice and saying, yes, Lord. It started with saying, I'm hearing it. God, is that you? Identifying the voice is incredible. And it begins every time someone identifies the voice, it starts an adventure. 
None can fathom, it says, what God has done from the beginning. There are just things about God that are deeply unsearchable. There are so many areas where God seems so difficult for us to wrap our heads around that there's, a, there's a, this deep-held belief in all of us that if, if the thing doesn't make sense, it's not real. We, we use this to debunk even things like conspiracy theories. It doesn't make sense, it's not real. Or someone will say someone did something or said something behind our back and we know them and we, we use that same logic. If it doesn't make sense, it can't be real. God is not going to make sense. But is that always true? If something doesn't make sense, it's not real. God does not make sense. He is, there's things about him that are unfathomable. But if, if think about this, if an eternal creator really did make this universe, and everything in it, so vastly beyond what we can comprehend, is it so unbelievable that we would have things about him we don't get? Why do good things happen? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Why does sometimes the evil thrive? These questions bounce around the book of Ecclesiastes. Why does God do the things he does? And it does hurt to be in a moment of loss and pain and to ask ourselves, why did God do this? Why did he let me be in this spot? But I find some comfort in this fact. Any God that mankind can comprehend is a God created by mankind. You cannot comprehend an existence far beyond yourself. We are as equipped to understand everything about God as the blood cells are in your body to understand everything about you. There is just not enough intelligence there. We're not called to understand God. And that's so critical. It sometimes keeps us from pursuing things. And when I'm intelligent enough or I can answer all the most difficult questions, sometimes we will ask God difficult questions and he will not answer them. He sometimes often will find that God will provide answers to the meta question. But the meta question means the question above it. We have a specific question. Why does God let good things or bad things happen to good people? The question that's really above that, that we're really asking, but we're not allowing ourselves to ask it, is should I really trust God? Is he going to take care of me? Sometimes God will not tell us why bad things happen to good people, but he will let us know that he is trustworthy and good, and we're just going to have to trust him. In the end, the only thing that we can really truly understand about God is that he is good. And that's the thing you put your faith in. So much of this is going to be a mystery, but we know he is good. So let's go on and follow the voice that's speaking to us, knowing that. I want to read uh, back verse 12 again. It says, I know there is nothing better for people to do than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each... Each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it. The people will fear him. There is something that matters to enjoying life. That there is a goodness about it. And God did not put us in this natural world for it to just be awful and to suck and for us not to enjoy it and for it to be a constant moment of turmoil and pain. This side of eternity isn't meant to always be a curse. There are good things in it. And the key to enjoying it comes in verse 14. 
that, uh, that we know that everything God does will endure forever. One of the most amazing lessons of Ecclesiastes is this. The key to enjoying natural life is to enjoy eternity. I'll put it this way. You could go to a dinner party very hungry, very, very hungry, and you could come in the door, and if you saw the hors d'oeuvres and you thought that was dinner, you would hate those hors d'oeuvres, no matter how good they are. Bacon-wrapped asparagus, shrimp on crackers. These things are not dinner. You'd think, I came hungry, and I do not want to eat these things. I wanted to eat something more. I wanted something to enjoy and to be full. I'm trying to think to myself, what was the last McDonald's I passed on my way to this dinner party so I can binge on my way home? You're worried about the food because it's little. The key to enjoying those, though, to enjoying the hors d'oeuvres, is if you could see the door in the kitchen crack open for a second, and you see the chefs busy at work in their white little shirts, and they're preparing actual food. And then, oh, great. So these are just hors d'oeuvres. Who doesn't like bacon-wrapped asparagus? Tastes like bacon. It's got vegetables. We can trick ourselves into thinking it's healthy. It's the perfect snack. We can enjoy this life for what it is when we quit trying to make it something it's not supposed to be. Hors d'oeuvres are never meant to fill you up. And this human life is never meant to satisfy the deep eternal calling in your heart. You can enjoy things in this life from the work that we do every day to the relationships we have with our family to even things that seem as mundane as the weather outside when we realize this life is what it is, but it's not eternity. And it's a good blessing. It's a good thing. The hors d'oeuvres are good. And we can enjoy them because we know they are not here to satisfy us so deeply and completely as the Lord does. The key to enjoying life is to enjoying eternity and not asking this life to come through on promises it was never meant to. To think that if you succeed enough at work or you succeed enough in your, in your family, in your finances, whatever it would be, that it would satisfy that deep eternal call inside of you, it's going to make you hate everything you put your hand to because it is not satisfying and it will always come short. But if you just let it simply be what it's going to be, and you enjoy it for what it is because you know you've got something bigger and you've got greater promises, you will enjoy this life more. Today's experiences should not be made to bear the weight of eternal fulfillment. They're just not going to live up, and you're not even going to enjoy these experiences. Something that should have been amazing comes across as disappointment. If there was anything you were going to remember from this series as we've been reading and going through Ecclesiastes, it would be this. It would be this phrase. If you're writing anything down, you would want to write this down. It is what it is, but it's not eternity. It is what it is. It's a good thing. There are parts of our life that are good things, and we can enjoy them for what they are, God's blessings in this natural life. But it isn't our eternal hope. There are things that are really, really hard, and they're difficult. It is what it is, but it's not eternity. It's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard. But this isn't your eternal state. It's not what you're called to. You're not going to be suffering forever. It is what it is, but it is not eternity. 
We want to let this natural life be a simple gift from God. It is a gift. And God's gift to us, if you notice what it says, it says that to enjoy it is the gift. Not just the gift that we would have good things in this life, but God empowers us to enjoy it, that this creation is more accessible and alive and vibrant and colorful to those who know the creator. That we are empowered to enjoy it more than anyone else. That sun worshipers will not appreciate the sun to the level we do. That people who worship nature will not even begin to comprehend just how great it is as those who know the creator. We enjoy it because God enables us to as we look forward to what he has for us, knowing full well that we have a place with him in eternity that can't be taken away. His work cannot be undone the way your work can be undone. His work in eternity cannot varnish and fall apart like our work does here. That hope is great and it's amazing. And through our faith, there are times that hope feels more real than the life we're living right now. And all of this journey of experiencing God and knowing who he is and knowing him to a deeper level starts when we say, God, is that you? The things that you desire, the things that fire up your heart, the things that you dream for, what is it you're desiring? What what reminds you of God? What feels like God? Because the calling and the word of Eli, the high priest, comes to us still today. When you hear the voice this time, you say, yes, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. When you feel the, the, the wonderlust desire to go and see what's in this creation, when you feel this deep desire to know the person sitting next to you, when you feel the need for the good things God made in this created universe, to say, yes, Lord, I hear the call, I feel it, the hunger is being felt. Something's going off inside of me. You've placed eternity in my heart. I'm listening. I'm going to take a moment to pray, but I want you to think about this. What if you were very much supposed to be here today? What if you were very much supposed to hear that call? What if all of your life, the voice voice has been speaking, and it's been coming to you, and and in the same way that Samuel mistook it for something natural, we mistake it for things that are natural, too. And this is a moment when it's getting more and more specific and you're finding out that you are not being pulled and misled and called by all these random desires, but they actually triangulate and they come to a point and it's the creator calling you home. That no matter how far you run, no matter where you go, from the time before you were born, eternity was placed in your heart. If you were meant to be here and you were meant to hear it, you're also meant to respond the same way we've always responded. From the time the call has come out to humanity, it's always been the same thing. Lord, is that you? Yes, I'm listening. Speak. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna have us all bow our heads and close our eyes. I wanna give a moment for some opportunities of response. So many ways to respond to this, from those that have known God forever to those that maybe knew and left to those that never knew him, we all respond differently. If you've been feeling this desire inside, it's been calling you, you didn't realize it was God, your life isn't devoted to following him at all. But you feel like it's time to take a really big leap of faith to believe in something bigger you never believed in before, that maybe there's intelligence, maybe there's something behind this, maybe I'm being called home and you wanna take a big leap of faith today for the first time, devote your life to God and try this trail out. 
What I'm asking you to do is you can raise your hand and lower it back down. You can stay in your seat. No one's going to call you out. No one's going to embarrass you in any way, but it's a way of responding. So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. You can place it back down. Excellent. We're going to be praying with you because the call gets so specific. There's a moment when, when God identifies his voice and where he's calling people to so specifically. A voice booms from heaven when Christ is being baptized. And it says, this is my son. Listen to him. Everything in your life has led up to one person. And it's a man hanging on a cross that was Christ. And the same way you felt the call to go home, you've also felt something's in the way, that there is a burden, there is something, and you have felt lost because you don't know how to remove that thing between you and going home. message of Christ is this. He came to remove the burden. All guilt, all sin removed in him that he would take on the punishment, that he would take on the crucible, that you could pass through it to him. We start, all of us, this mission, this vision, this following of the Lord as he calls us by putting faith in one person, one specific moment in Christ on the cross. I'm going to pray and I want everyone to repeat after me, especially those of you that raised your hand. Jesus, I'm looking at you. I know it's you that's been calling. And I put my faith in what you did. That I can start something today I've been called to since I was an infant. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. For the saints, those of us that have known Jesus for so long, we can get so chasing down a vision, so chasing something we want so bad that we forget where our real hope comes from. If you feel like there's been a desire over you, something that's been arresting you and you've been going after, and as I'm speaking, you realize that you are feeling actually pulled in a very different direction. You've been being pulled to the Lord, but you've been misidentifying the voice. You've been pursuing things that are vain pursuits. This morning is a very special morning, and it's your morning to change that pursuit. So as I pray, I want you to lay your hand over your heart and pray for your own self as well. Lord, we lift up these desires that have been in our heart, the things that we've placed them onto. In the same way people have taken worship of God and they wrap it around an idol, we do the same thing when we don't realize that was a way beacon calling us home. This is a good life, and there are good things to have. There are good things to experience, but they are what they are, and they're not eternity. God, call us into eternity. Lord, I pray that satisfaction and fulfillment of the Spirit would come from God, that we would be enabled to even enjoy the things we have now that we are looking sideways at, that gratitude would burst out, and that we would be ready to receive with the highest gratitude the blessings that we're waiting on from you. God, let us hit stop and pause on everything to put a cancel to all things that we would just simply trust in you this morning, that you are the satisfaction of the Spirit, that we have been craving you and we didn't realize it. I want everyone to repeat after me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening.
Jesus' name we pray, amen.